Hey traders, welcome to the SPACs attack. Let's get it started. How we doing traders traders welcome back welcome back i hope my audio is doing perfectly i'll check my audio levels in a second but it looks like we're we're, we're bouncing back a little bit in the overall market i've been seeing some stocks rip missed out some plays but that's how it is you know and and i'm super excited to get to our interview today as you guys know we'll have nicolo damasi on a little bit later uh, the great CEO of multiple companies there. We're, we're talking DMYD, uh, RSI, DMYI, and, and even uh, one that's trading in units. So definitely a, a CEO that has a bunch of potential and, and one that you should keep an eye out. Like we always talk about management teams. This management team has been, I mean, if you look at the overall specs, truly successful. Let's bring on my man, Chris Ketchy. What's up, man? Hey, Mitch, what's going on? Super excited for today's show. I mean, hey, the man himself, Nicola, right? I mean, we, we couldn't bring him on fast enough back as we had him on the boot camp, guys. If you missed that boot camp, man, you missed out some great information, really transparent CEO, and, and telling us a lot of how he looks at SPACs overall. And, and so definitely, guys, if you, if you missed out on that, you could still get the interview. I think you got to pay for that one, but hey. And maybe maybe uh, Nicolo release a little clip for you of that. We'll see what happens there. But Chris, um, what's going on in the headlines? What's up in the world in the SPAC world today? Yeah, you know, lots of uh, SPACs trading in the green today. You know, market is looking good out there. Um, you know, I see quite a few on the watch list trading higher. But we do have a lot of headlines too. Some analyst upgrades some you know comments and then we do have one deal so let's get it kicked over to headlines let's do it all right guys yeah so headlines today up first we have skills so that's ticker sklz shares got hit yesterday uh the company was subject to a short report put out by wolfpack uh report um, you know, criticizing the company, uh, you know, really diving into what they're all about and how they're going to get revenue in the future. Um, you know, company has responded, said that, you know, the, the report doesn't have a lot of accuracies in it. Shares are up today, but again, they did fall, you know, a decent amount yesterday on that short report. Um, so keep an eye on SKLZ. If you were looking at this one on your watch list, you may have a buying opportunity now on that dip. Up next, we have desktop metal, so ticker DM, of course, 3D printing um, for the new wave of the industrial, uh, you know, additive manufacturing. They announced that they will report earnings on March 15th, so that's coming up fairly soon. We will add that to our calendar of, you know, deal uh, votes and also earnings from former SPACs. And then turning to earnings, we did have a couple report last night. So we have Shift uh, ticker SFT. This is a uh, you know online car sales. They reported earnings. Shares are up nine percent today. Company saw record revenue and unit sales. 
Fourth quarter revenue of $73.4 million, uh, you know, narrowly beating a $73.0 million estimate. And they are guiding for first quarter to be $90 to $95 million in revenue versus a prior estimate of $72.6 million. And they see full year revenue of $450 million versus $392 million street consensus. Uh, Benchmark has upgraded shares to buy today with a $13 price target. Again, this is a former SPAC trading under $10. Um, shares are up significantly today, but keep an eye out on that one. Then we have WTRH. This is Waiter Holdings, a food delivery company. Uh, they reported fourth quarter earnings. So earnings per share of 0.02 missed a 0.04 estimate. And sales of $46.8 million missed a $51.4 million estimate. Uh, I do own shares of WTRH. And the reason I got in was they recently announced a partnership with Flow Payments to create a compliant marketplace delivery and payment solution for cannabis dispensaries um, you know, in their territories. And then they also entered today a $23 million deal to acquire Delivery Dudes, another food delivery company. So as they compete, you know, against Uber Eats and DoorDash, they are one of the, the niche players in the small markets and now expanding into cannabis, I think could be a winning venture for them. So I am holding shares and going to be look forward to hearing more color on the cannabis venture. We do have an investor day today for DraftKings, so ticker DKNG on watch. Um, they have already issued some color. So they see the U.S. online gambling market surpassing $60 billion at full legalization. Um, so $22 billion uh, in sportsbook and $40 billion in iGaming, um, you know, at 100% legalization. So, you know, some new numbers from them on that total addressable market. Shares are up today, and the CEO, Jason Robbins, was on CNBC yesterday. So lots of attention right now with DraftKings, you know, in the spotlight. Then we turn to ARK Fund. So Kathy Wood yesterday bought more shares of DKNG, that's DraftKings, BFLY, Butterfly Network, AONE, the other 3D printing additive manufacturing company, and SKLZ Skills. So that short report, you know, definitely did not face Kathy Wood. And we have IPOE. So this is uh, the Chamath SPAC bringing SoFi public. They announced today that they are acquiring Golden Pacific Bank Corps. So this is important because, as I said, with that SoFi deal getting done, that they were looking to acquire a bank charter. Um, so they can, you know, have all the regulations uh, in place to not just be, you know, digital um, payments, but also a uh, online bank um, regulated by uh, the U.S. government. So keep an eye out on IPOE. I did see shares moving on that announcement. And then we have some ratings. So HEMS, Credit Suisse uh, initiated coverage with neutral and a $16 price target. Shares were up double digits on that announcement. Uh, HIMS also got an analyst upgrade uh, last week, if I remember right. Remember, this is the one, though, that Kathy Wood, you know, added to ARC funds, and then she sold out of the position completely. Um, so keep an eye out on HIMS, because there's kind of a mixed bag here from uh, analysts uh, going forward on what the company can do in that telehealth um, and telemedicine markets. Then we have THBR, which I do own shares of. Uh, Benchmark initiated coverage with a buy rating and a $17 price target. 
Shares not moving too much um, on that upgrade, but shares are at 1046, you know, significantly down from where we were a month ago. Um, I'm still holding shares. This is a play on connected cars going forward. Keep an eye out on THBR. And then a new SPAC that caught my eye yesterday. You know, we talk about too many SPACs being out there, of course, um, but we do have a new celebrity SPAC. Um, this one brings a team of athletes. So the ticker is going to be D-I-S-A-U as units and D-I-S-A as the common. So they have an athlete advisory council that is currently made up of Justin Verlander, Patrick Mahomes, Canelo Alvarez, Robert Lewandowski, and Nomi Asaka. Um, they also have two former tennis players on the board. And then the CEO of this uh, SPAC, he's led investments of Palantir, Hims, Pinterest, and Spotify prior to IPOs. So a keen eye of these, you know, pre-IPO tech companies. And then Karen Feinerman from CNBC's uh, Fast Money is also on the board. So keep an eye out on this one. You know, you, you see the celebrity part, get the headlines, but it's got a strong management team. And as we talked with the Shacks back before, those celebrities could add you know, some some influence with their large followings uh, on social media. So keep an eye out for DISA to hit the market. And then lastly, turning to our deal, we have a last mile telehealth company, Ambulance, uh, going public with ticker MOTN, that's Motion Acquisition Core. So last mile telehealth, medical mobility, they're going to rebrand as .go. Ticker will be DCGO after the deal is completed. Current shareholders will own 10% of the company. So they have a network of over 1,700 paramedics and EMTs. They operate with a business-to-business model, serving hospital networks, insurance providers, municipalities, and large commercial enterprises. Some of the customers include MLB, NFL, Carnival Cruise, Uber, and GoodRx. They've completed over 1 million patient interactions. So they see a total addressable market size of $95 billion. They operate in 23 states in the U.S. and in the U.K. They're expanding into new states as part of their growth. They had revenue of $94 million in 2020, up 95%. Revenue expected to be $155 million in fiscal 2021 and $265 million in 2022. And positive EBITDA in fiscal 2022, which is a key going forward. And then they have recurring revenue that represents around 70% of their forecasted 2021 revenue. So again, that ticker was MOTN. Shares not moving very much on that deal announcement. And then we turn to our calendar. Uh, you know, we have some upcoming votes. Uh, we had CLA yesterday. I'm still waiting to get color on that one. And then we have IPV on the 11th. And then, of course, tomorrow, one of our big earnings days, we have RSI, SKLZ, and TTCF all reporting earnings. And then we also, then next week, we'll have Desktop Metal and Ride um, on the docket. So lots of earnings coming up from some of these former SPACs. So definitely lots to keep an eye out out there. That's what I've got today, Mitch. You know, a lot of headlines that one, you know, deal that the market, you know, isn't really loving out there, but, you know, definitely one to keep on watch with that low share price. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing that we've been keeping an eye on is when we get the market bounce back, how are SPACs going to react? Because that's what we want to see. We want to see a reaction back to the upside. Um, and I've been looking at it today and it looks like we ha we've had a, a couple of good looking moves. Um, I'm, I'm still looking at some opportunities. I still think there's some great opportunities out there, guys. So if you guys are thinking that this is the bottom, then maybe you can start looking at some opportunities. And there's a bunch of companies that are underneath even, I would say, 1025 the, the the price that we talked about guys so keep looking for those companies and i think there's some great opportunities out there um it, I, i'm not even going to go into particulars but i i can see already like five or six that i would even like adding to my portfolio so definitely there's some opportunities out there of course like i always say try to diversify your 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 portfolio i i, I personally try to keep my SPACs at a seven or 8% of my portfolio max so that I don't get too big in one position, but that's just giving you guys insight of how I approach it. All right, let's go ahead and let's get into our interview. But before we get into that, I thought there would be really no better way of kind of figuring out what this is because it's a little bit difficult, right? What, what quantum computing is. And, and so let's touch a little bit about this video. This is from IonQ, so definitely a shout out to them. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and put it on there. Make sure that you guys can listen to it. If you guys, if there's any audio issues, let me know in the chat, but I wanna make sure that this plays out and then you guys get to check it out here. All right, so let me bring it to the screen here. Volume should be all good. Feeds crops which feed the world, but making fertilizer is not cheap or easy on the planet. Synthetic fertilizer production accounts for 1.4% of the entire world's carbon emissions, more than any other industrial reaction. However, bacteria in soil make fertilizer without any factories or carbon emissions at all, just simple enzymes. So why not copy the bacteria? Because we can't. It's a quantum process and today's computers don't speak quantum physics. It would take the world's most powerful systems hundreds of thousands of years to simulate what these enzymes are doing. 40 years ago, Nobel laureate Richard Feynman put it this way, nature isn't classical, damn it, and if you want to make a simulation of nature, you'd better make it quantum mechanical. It was the spark that launched a new grand challenge for humanity, to build a useful quantum computer. A computer that, instead of calculating with the simple ones and zeros of today's classical computers, uses quantum mechanics, the mathematical rules that govern the atomic building blocks of the universe. A computer like this would revolutionize science, industry, and everyday life. But from the very beginning, it was understood that building a useful quantum computer was going to be a staggeringly hard engineering problem. Hard, but not impossible. All right, guys, as you guys heard it there, hard but not impossible. And that's, that's I think, the, the best cue to go ahead and, and bring on Niccolo. Chris, bring on our guest. All right, guys, I am excited to welcome back to the show Niccolo DeMasi. He is the chairman of Glue Mobile and the CEO of DMY Technology Group, which has launched four SPACs. That's RSI, Rush Street Interactive, DMYD merging with Genius Sports, DMYI merging with IonQ and DMYQ, a fourth SPAC, searching for a target. Welcome back to the show, Niccolo. Great pleasure to be here, guys. I'm excited. And uh, thank you for playing the video. It, uh, it definitely helps explain what we're trying to do here with IonQ. 
Definitely. And and how it said, it is definitely was a, a hard task to approach at the beginning. But as we can see, not an impossible task. So I'll let Chris go ahead and jump in here with some questions and I'll be back with some of my own. Yeah, I'm going to make that my, my, my new middle name. Nicolo, hard but not impossible. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll have to copyright that then, right? <laughs> Good, good morning, Niccolo. I hope all is well. Congratulations on getting, you know, another deal announcement out of these DMY technology SPACs. So, you know, we, we saw that video, but, but quantum computing seems to be, you know, a tough thing for some people to grasp. So maybe let's start with how would you explain quantum computing to investors, um, you know, who just may not understand the, the concept of it? Yeah, well, look, we were in the uh, industrial revolution age in the 19th century. You know, the 20th century is, you know, we called it the information age, right? It's about bits and bytes and ones and zeros. And, and the first hundred years of computing have all been about uh, a paradigm of processing information, uh, which can be pretty fast compared to humans without machines. But it's actually nothing like the speed you would get out of uh, what we think is going to happen in the 21st century, which is we think the, the next 100 years is going to be about the quantum era. So industrial revolution, information era, you know, quantum era. And quantum computers fundamentally are so powerful because all of the little, let's call them gates inside the machine, instead of operating in series like a classical computer, the quantum computer allows them to operate in parallel. So all sorts of problems with huge complexity and, you know, dozens of digits of combinations to sort through can actually be done in parallel. Amazingly, even the fundamental tenets of, of all online cryptography, uh, which is the RSA algorithm, um, is actually crackable by something like 4,000 algorithmic uh, qubits in a, in a quantum computer. So now we're not at 4,000 today, you know, we're at 20 or 30 with INQ, but believe it or not, quantum computers are so powerful that once you get to about 75 algorithmic qubits, you can compete with the world's top 10 fastest classical supercomputers at a much lower cost base. And after 75 qubits, you know, you overtake anything the world has ever seen. So to give you an example of, of a problem that quantum computers are awesome at solving, there's something uh, called the traveling salesperson problem that you both probably heard of. So it's like, what order should Amazon deliver packages on for every truck uh, every morning? And believe it or not, you know, UPS, FedEx, Amazon, Walmart, Target, large e-commerce and delivery companies can save hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars if you can optimize those routes. Now, to solve that problem uh, every morning for a company of that size will take the world's fastest classical computer something like six or 12 months. So obviously it doesn't, doesn't work, right? That's not how those companies operate. You can't solve the traveling salesperson problem if you're Amazon or FedEx every day. You have to follow other rules that are less efficient. But a quantum computer with you know, 30 or 40 algorithmic cubics could actually solve that problem in minutes. So you could do it every morning for one of these companies. The same sort of power can come to drug discovery, can come to making more efficient solar cells, can come to making you know, more efficient fertilizers as you heard. And of course, can come to aerospace, national security, and the battlefield of the future. So quantum computing is actually of vital national security interest. And it is of, I would argue, existential interest 
in every field of applied science for every industry of significance. Um, give you one more example and I'll stop talking for a second, Chris, but like if you are a large financial services organization or you're a large insurance company, trying to price a portfolio, trying to price risk, trying to drive options pricing, these sorts of algorithms can be done with only 30 or 40 algorithmic qubits, which is something we think INQ will be able to do in probably 2024. So we're only two or three years away from early quantum, uh, you know, I'd say advantage, and then broad quantum advantage when you take on supercomputers is probably only five years away. So this is gonna come up in everybody's life sooner than we think. INQ has brought forward the era of broad quantum advantage from where we thought it would be a few years ago to, from, from late 2030s to mid 2020s. And this is why the time is ripe to launch the world's first pure play quantum computing company with over $650 million of, of new fresh capital that we've brought in courtesy of DMY technology. Yeah, perfect. You know, you don't have to worry about talking too much on this show. The, the people are here. They want to hear from you. I know me. I want to sit back. I want to hear more about quantum computing as well. So that was some great examples. That was going to be my next question, you know, kind of breaking into some of the examples that quantum computing can get into. I know, uh, you know, curing disease, sustainable living, you know, really jumped out to me on that investor presentation. So you just alluded to, you know, becoming the first pure play public quantum computing company. Can you talk a little bit about how that may be a strong, you know, mover advantage uh, coming to market here? Yeah. So look, um, the rise of cloud computing has fundamentally changed the ability of INQ to drive real revenue in the next three or four years, even before the truly powerful world changing machine comes online. And the reason for that is, you know, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, we just have to connect to them and they have customers and they have an efficient path to market for us and, a, and an efficient revenue share model for INQ. So all, you know, what, what INQ is focused on uniquely is just building the best machine we can every year. Um, you know, 20 years ago, if you'd been Cray, you had to spend a lot of your energy on building machines and shipping boxes all over the world. INQ doesn't have to do that. We just have to build one great machine and rent out time on it through the cloud to other customers. So there's really two big sources of revenue for, for INQ. Um, one is through the, through the cloud. And I would say that the revenue we're seeing is growing, you know, tens of percent a month. We have some months through the cloud that's growing like 40% month on month. We have the same kind of lumpy, spiky revenue through the cloud that I remember seeing, believe it or not, when I took over at Glue in the early days of the Apple App Store. So there's kind of like a new App Store platform that's gonna happen, we think, uh, using INQ's machines as developers around the world are using their APIs and starting to write you know, new software applications. They will also be able to sell whole systems to friendly governments um, and maybe some of the biggest companies in the world. But fundamentally what quantum computing is gonna do is it's gonna bring down the cost of supercomputing power for everybody in the world. So right now, if you want access to a top 10 global supercomputer, you have to spend probably a billion dollars on the hardware and then millions of dollars a month, you know, just, just electricity costs to run the thing. What we're gonna do in the next three to five years is bring that cost down to something that you can afford effectively on a credit card. And then we'll give you more and more power in the palm of your hand effectively through the cloud then, then you can you, you can even access today in the world's top 10 
supercomputers, right? So it, it really will change the world, Chris, and it's gonna save a lot of lives, to be blunt. You know, imagine if vaccines happened, you know, in a fraction of the time they do today. Would have saved a lot of lives, obviously, last year with COVID and this year with COVID. There will be future diseases where quantum computing will allow treatments and vaccines faster. It will obviously, you know, help address climate change. So Bill Gates's breakthrough energy ventures was one of the largest investors in the pipe. Um, and the reason they did that is we believe the advances that INQ has made will allow, you know, a number of recipes for climate change, including, you know, more efficient, renewable, uh, you know, sources of energy, as well as making existing sources, carbon capture, even nuclear fuel processing can be all made more efficient with the right, uh, you know, quantum computing optimizations. Now, to, to answer your question on leadership, you know, Google, Amazon, Microsoft have internal quantum initiatives, but we believe we're far ahead of them, in fact. So the head of Google quantum computing joined INQ uh, last year. And so we're winning the talent war even before we went public. We believe that we have a two-year-plus lead over other players. It might, in fact, be you know, much more than two years, depending on which technology people are pursuing in the world of quantum computing. And we think that by merging, obviously, with uh, DMYI, we're providing a public listing, $650 million of more capital. We're also providing operating relationships and new pipe investors. So I'm sure you saw the press release that we put out uh, yesterday, but in addition to Bill Gates's Breakthrough Energy Ventures, um, you have affiliates of MSD Capital, which is obviously Michael Dell's family office, as most people know. Um, you have Silver Lake, you have Hyundai, you have Mubadala, the sovereign wealth fund of the UAE, you've got Google Ventures, um, and you've also got existing backers like Samsung, Lockheed Martin, Bosch, and Airbus. So it's really an impressive list of people that have supported and are supporting INQ's success. And it is my humble opinion in the world of technology stocks, once you establish leadership early on, it's very difficult, if not almost impossible, for second and third followers to catch up. You know, we've got the money, we've got the customers, we've got the strategic ecosystem, we have the app ecosystem, and most of all, we have the talent. Yeah, perfect. You know, I wanted to hop into those investors. So for those of you watching who may not know, so existing investors in IonQ, I mean, this list is amazing. We have Google Ventures, Amazon, Lockheed Martin, Hewlett Packard, Airbus, and Samsung, you know, and many, many more, you know, so so taking a step back, Niccolo, you know, with, with DMYI, you know, you, you can choose any company to bring public. I know, you know, the technology with IonQ, you know, probably jumped off the charts, but what do you think when you find a company, you know, that already has the, these leading investors behind it, you know, is that a huge sign of, hey, you know, I want to get behind this company and bring it public? Yeah, so as you might remember, Chris, I, I'm a physicist originally. So my undergrad and master's degree are both from Cambridge University in, in physics. And so believe it or not, I studied the work of people like Chris Monroe, uh, who's, who's one of the founders, if not the founder of INQ, um, when I was in graduate school. So believe it or not, I've, I have followed this space for well over 20 years, closer to 25 than 20 years. And, you know, I'd say that early on, I was, I'd say 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, I was skeptical of the progress that quantum computing was, was making relative to Professor Feynman's postulations, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, but in the last five years, 
two things have happened. One, um, about $2 billion of venture capital has, has flowed into about 85 companies in the space, at least according to The Economist, uh, you know, last quarter, last year. Um, and there's been a number of breakthroughs. So INQ in the last three years, if you look at BCG, you know, the consulting company, put out a report in 2017 and a report in 2019. If you look at the progress that's been made in the past two, three years by INQ, we have effectively pulled forward the era when quantum computing matters to you and I and to enterprise customers, right? So instead of 2028, 2030 being when broad quantum advantage happens, Google themselves demonstrated quantum supremacy uh, last year on a specific problem. And what INQ is, we believe, on the verge of demonstrating in the next three to five years is broad quantum supremacy on things like you know, AI, machine learning, natural language processing. Um, if you listen to the materials, by the way, on the DMY and INQ websites, um, you can see on our slides, and I think you've looked at the slides as you pulled one up there, um, things like handwriting recognition, we can already do that on an 11 qubit system as well as a classical computer or a classical supercomputer. And so we think facial recognition, we think machine learning, there will be real advances here in the next two to three years, such to the point that large customers of ours, whether or not you know, you're looking at enterprises you know, like a Goldman Sachs, a JP Morgan, a Lockheed Martin, you know, everybody's preparing for the quantum era. They are actually already hiring people they're hiring PhDs and they're getting ready and they're publishing papers on the algorithms they're going to apply to INQ's hardware when it's ready because they know it's a game changer, right? You can't be the CEO of you know, a company like Lockheed where you're building the next, I don't know, stealth bomber or something that takes 5, 10, 15, 20 years to pull off. You can't be that CEO that says, oh, yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't optimize by a factor of 10 or 100 or 1,000 um, as well as I could have because I didn't spend you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars on INQ's processing power, right? Like existential decisions for companies are gonna happen with quantum computing because also I'd point out, Chris, the power of quantum computing, it increases exponentially, not just by a factor of two like Moore's law, but if you double the number of qubits, so going from, you know, say 32 to 64 qubits, it increases by two to the power of the difference in the number of qubits. So it's, a, it's an enormous difference, right? So, you know, two to the 32 is a number with, you know, like 19 digits or something crazy like that, right? And so the difference between a 32 and a 64 and a 128 and 256 qubit system from INQ is literally the difference if you're an algorithmic trader at a bank and you're optimizing, you know, I don't know, portfolio or options pricing. It's the difference potentially between making like no money <laughs> that year if you don't have access to the new system and obviously, you know, making vast, you know, super profits if you happen to be uh, the firm that has, you know, access or even exclusive access, potentially, if you paid for it, to INQ's machine. Perfect. So, you know, I heard you talk a little bit earlier about, you know, maybe some competition coming, including from some of those companies, you know, that are investors in INQ. So, you know, in, in the presentation, it talks about being, you know, uh, 32,000 times more powerful than competitors with the quantum yeah. system. You know, obviously, with with your background, you know, you know the technology, you you know the systems, and what some of those numbers mean. You know, is quantum computing? It's it's not a winner takes all market. Is there room for you know potential a couple players? And how will IonQ 
you know, kind of stay ahead of the pack and keep that market share uh, lead with their technology. Look, that is the key slide. So I appreciate you pulling that up. Um, and, you know, to be honest there, it's like, why did we choose this company to IPO? Like, well, this, this slide kind of makes the point, right? There are very few technology markets where, you know, this early on, you can say there's somebody that's this far ahead of everybody else. And to be honest, I, I don't think there's going to be anyone that, com that competes with us, in the, you know, credibly in the next three, five, seven years, because the advantages of getting the customers, getting the revenue, proving this out and getting the capital we provided to continue to drive the lead is going to be really difficult, if not almost impossible, I would argue, to catch up. Um, if you, this, By the way, this is the 32 qubit system we're looking at here. If we put out the 64 qubit system, the bar chart, you know, wouldn't wouldn't fit on the page. You'd have to take like the natural log of it to get it to fit on the page, right? Because it'd be so much exponentially more powerful. So look, I mean, there are people that think that in 2030 or 2028 or something like that, they will magically have a machine that competes with IonQ in 2028. But you know, look, all of us on this call know that the history of technology markets would show that. Generally, you know, whether you're at Google or you're a Microsoft or Amazon, if you're if you're ahead of the pack in an area and you have the capital and the customers, you can invest in it, you're going to attract more talent. And there's a virtuous circle between capital, talent, product quality and breakthroughs and be able to fund more R&D. So I think there might be some aqua hires INQ makes, but its organic trajectory and ecosystem is going to be so far ahead of anybody that turns up five, six, seven years later that I, I find it hard to believe that we won't be the most powerful player in the space perennially. I do believe that you know Nvidia is a great parallel in some ways. Um, you know when they IPO'd, they probably had a market cap similar to IonQ's, whatever it was, 2001. That business today is you know what a 300 billion, 350 billion dollar market cap business. I, I do think INQ will be a hundred billion dollar plus market cap business someday. Could could be more. Um, you know it could be the next Tesla, if you will, because being first in these markets have just huge, huge network effects, right? Um, and I think the way this technology develops is exponential progress is happening every year to such an extent, like I keep saying, that if you're the CEO of a Fortune 100 business, you can't afford to not pay for access to our machine because your competitors will do it. And competitors will have a massive cost optimization and business advantage if you miss out on it. So I'm not gonna say we're gonna be an, you know, a monopoly, it will certainly be an oligopoly, um, but I think that we're going to be the business to beat uh, probably at all times, to be blunt. We saw he even had to, you know, zoom out to, to get the full thing to fit on the screen to talk about your competition. So, you know, what a great slide. Um, I know Mitch has some questions. I'm going to touch real quick before he comes on about some of the financials. So, you sure. know, we, we look at the the um, predictions of revenue really ramping up in 2025, $237 million. You know, what is it going to take to get to that ramp up? And is 2025 going to be, you know, the, the realistic goal to really, uh, you know, ramp up revenue? Yeah, I mean, look, with the strategic backers we have in the pipe and they're already in the company, you have a kind of coalition of customers, right? So I think we feel really good about uh, numbers that we can, you know, meet and beat, as you'd expect from any public company that, that you know, DNY sets up and uh, effectively sponsors onto the NYSE. 
remember there's two big sources of revenue. So you have cloud revenues that are going to grow, I think, quite nicely and quite smoothly. And then you're going to have system sales that can come on top of that. Um, now, fundamentally, I'm a believer in the app store models, as you can imagine, given my you know, pedigree and heritage. Um, and I would say that you know, this is really a hardware company um, you know, in the lab, but a software company in terms of how the revenue is going to get derived mostly. I think this will mostly be a business providing you know, power by the hour, as Rolls-Royce uh, likes to call it, right? So we're providing access to a machine. We're providing computing time. We'll be effectively auctioning off access to the world's most powerful quantum computer every year, and every year will become more and more powerful. Um, and every year, I think you're going to see us able to command higher and higher prices for that access because it's going to be a scarce commodity, right? If you have thousands and thousands or millions of times more power than your competitors, what is that worth to you? Um, you know, what is that worth to you if you're an aerospace company, a bank, an insurance company, a renewable company? a government, um, you know, for that matter, right? You've seen Palantir do really well solving problems as a, as a private company, often for three-letter agencies. <laughs> and so I think the same phenomenon will likely, you know, happen to INQ. Um, and I actually think that there's, there's room to accelerate this revenue path um, through some aqua hires we might be able to make. There's also room to accelerate this by virtue of the fact that I think quantum, you know, computing is really just beginning to take off uh, in terms of understanding the popular imagination in the press. And as that picks up, it tends to steamroll. Um, look at where Tesla was three years ago. Look at where Tesla was four or five years ago. I think the same thing will happen to IonQ in the next three, four, five years, right? If you were an auto manufacturer, our CEO of IonQ, Peter Chapman, likes to say, you know, it was only a few years ago when most auto companies didn't have to have a strategy for self-driving and electric vehicles. Today, they all have to have a strategy. So he likes to always say, rightly so, how long will it be before Apple gets asked on an earnings call what their quantum computing strategy is, <laughs> right? I think Amazon, Google, and Microsoft know that the future of the cloud is quantum computing. And so there is a trillion dollars of market cap, I believe, on each one of those companies to be lost or won by winning the quantum computing era. And INQ is fundamental to that, which is why each one of these companies is either invested or struck a partnership or both with us. Yeah, literally you hit it right on the knob. That's where I was going and then leading into was the partnerships with Microsoft Azure, Amazon Web Services and the own your own quantum uh, platform. How are these gonna go ahead and lead you guys as the leaders in quantum computing here? Well, look, um, you know, we're students of history. If you, if you roll the clock back on uh, you know, classical computing and you look at when Intel got founded, you look at when Fairchild got founded, these were in the 50s, late 50s for Fairchild, late 60s for Intel. Um, you know, the reality is I don't think people at the time could project all of the ways that this technology was going to be used, um, but they knew that it was going to do something that changed the world. Quantum computing is exactly the same. We, in fact, can't fathom what you do after 4,000 algorithmic qubits. We don't know of any problems that need more than 4,000, 5,000 algorithmic qubits because that amount of qubits would crack RSA, the encryption that you currently use for all online services and banking, right? So beyond 4,000 qubits, you're in a world of I, you know, optimizations you can barely imagine and barely comprehend, right? 
if the world's most powerful classical supercomputers are going to be maxed in the next five years with an IonQ machine that only has, you know, 70 algorithmic qubits and about a thousand physical qubits, imagine what happens at 700 algorithmic qubits or 7,000 algorithmic qubits or 70,000. This will happen in the next 10 years and it will democratize computing power, the likes of which the world's never seen. Um, it will impact everything, believe it or not, from the battlefield of the future, which will matter to this country and all three-letter agencies and our governments, to how you optimize healthcare, logistics, how you discover new drugs, how you create new materials. It will also matter, uh, frankly, for delivering you know, new entertainment experiences. I have no doubt that quantum computing will power you know, new gaming interfaces and new cross-platform gameplay the world has never thought of yet either. It will drive new social networking. It will drive, frankly, you know, an improvement in everybody's lives because in technology markets, as you've seen over and over, my friends, as you bring the cost of something down, you broaden and democratize its use. And more use means more creativity. More creativity means more solutions to problems we both have and we don't even know that we yet have. Hey, well, they throw around that word disruptive technology, right? I, I've heard that word being thrown around. And then I want to give you a shout out here from the from the chat. CCI Invest saying maybe an Apple Steve's job early. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty great thing to be compared to. So um, while we get into the, the actual usage, I have, I have a little clip here from that video that I want to play here. So I'm going to add it to the stream here and then talk about one one aspect of it that I was I'm blown away and want to find out more about. So let's go ahead and let's get into that here. Unsolvable. Imagine increased efficiency in every sector from finance to logistics to energy. Smarter artificial intelligence. Innovations that can combat climate change. From better solar cells to direct carbon capture. Perfectly targeted pharmaceuticals that can eradicate chronic diseases. An electric car that can drive for months on a single charge. In the 19th century. All right, all right. So you you got you hit my my EV right there. When when you started talking about EV there, I definitely uh, got interested. You know, the quantum uh, powers has been said that it could charge an EV for months. How could this really help the EV transition that we're seeing right now? And, and definitely, I think this is something that we all should pay attention to. Yeah, well, believe it or not, Peter Chapman, who you saw at the end of the video there, is CEO of INQ, and he's uh, one of his advisors is Jagdeep Singh, who's the CEO of QuantumScapes. It was another uh, SPAC IPO that's been obviously very successful in the electric vehicle battery business, also with Strategics. In their case, I believe it was Volvo, also with uh, you know, a revenue ramp that uh, you know, really started to hockey stick you know, in the mid-2020s. So... There really isn't an element of business or applied science that quantum computing will not touch and improve because almost every problem can be expressed in an optimization format that is perfect for quantum computing and or that has a lot of permutations that you're sorting through to try and find the best way of doing something, right? So for electric vehicles, the battery example we were talking about was obviously around lithium battery technology and material science. And believe it or not, um, even when I was in graduate school, battery technology, you know, was was a was a hot area. It's an even hotter area today because being able to store power is one of those one of those fundamental rate limiters in both 
um, you know, frankly, solar power for homes as it is for cars. You know, I, I live in Austin, as you guys might remember. We had a kind of terrible winter storm, as you might have heard a few weeks ago. A lot of people lost power. One of the issues with solar power is how do you store it? Now, Tesla has, of course, batteries that are kind of backups for the home. But if you can improve batteries, as you're seeing here with, with chemistry um, in, in the EV market and the, in the pipe deck we published, you'll be able to improve how far you can drive a car, but also how you can store power at home. So future winter storms in Texas wouldn't be nearly as bad if everybody had power because they could store a lot of it at home. And so battery technology, new ways of storing power in different um, you know, lithium batteries and, and other non-lithium battery technologies can all be optimized with quantum computers. Um, you know, I'm obviously not an expert on battery technology, but I will say that photosynthesis, which is something that we've not been able to model with classical computers, is the kind of thing you can model with quantum computers. Because remember, you know, at the end of the day, atoms, molecules, they are quantum systems. And quantum computers are perfect for modeling atoms and molecules that are quantum systems. And we're, we're just simply much more efficient at it. Perfect. So, you know, it's hitting noon right now, Niccolo. If we can keep you for just a couple more sure. minutes, just do some rapid fire questions here. So I have a couple and I saw a couple from the chat. I want to get to the chat question. So someone asked about um, quantum computing as a service. So is, is that a concept that we're going to hear a lot about in the future? Oh, absolutely. When I, when I talk about, you know, cloud partnerships, and we obviously announced one with Amazon and Microsoft, um, but Google's an investor in the company, you know, in more than one way. Um, so I hope that we make it there, uh, you know, with Google soon. Also, the reality is um, we expect there to be a continuum, an evolution for everybody who's accessing cloud computing and cloud power um, to be something which they can effectively achieve with INQ's machines through the three biggest tech companies in the world. Um, you can do it today. So you can go online now with uh, Microsoft and Amazon and access um, some quantum computing time from INQ. You know, we will we will be figuring out our pricing model to be blunt um, every time we have a new system out. So most likely there will be really premium pricing going on for the 32 qubit system when it's commercially fully commercially available. Same for the 64, the 128, the 256. You know, last year's model will probably be cheaper all the time is my guess. Um, and more accessible, you know, via the credit card rather than an enterprise relationship. Um, but fundamentally, so much more computing power comes online each year that I absolutely think people will be bidding for exclusivity. They'll be bidding for longer term contracts. Um, and we will be, of course, trying to both provide the R&D investment dollars we need through an economic model with the newest systems, but also democratizing last year's systems for everybody globally that wants access. So we're we're looking to really build that app store ecosystem with global partners and innovative developers at all scales. Another question from the chat, what about mining for uh, cryptocurrency? What could quantum computing uh, do for that market? Yeah, that's it's obviously a game changer, right? So, you know, I talked about RSA and the fact that you know you can crack RSA, you know, with 4000, 4500 algorithmic qubits. Yeah, I mean, you know, we like to joke that there's every year you hear about somebody who like misplaced his or her passwords for their cryptocurrency <laughs> and, and have some huge amount of money locked up. Obviously at some point in, in the next, you know, whatever it is, you know, X years, we will be able to crack all of those encryptions, right? And so don't give up 
hold hold on hold on to your account. We'll we'll split the revenue with you in 2028 or whatever it is. If you happen to have some large amount of cryptocurrency that's locked up, um, yeah. Look, you know when you can crack RSA, you can crack a lot of things, and I think people will be innovating in the cryptography space. But classical cryptography will all be crackable by quantum computing. Only quantum cryptography will ultimately not be crackable, right, by, by quantum computing. So yes, you know, we've already thought about models, right, where you can, you can use quantum computing time to sort of mine or crack, you know, cryptocurrencies in the background. And I have no doubt some of the early people playing with our systems in the next three to five years are going to be looking for angles there. Um, so happy hunting, everyone. Perfect. That question came from our chat from uh, Yoan. So, you know, great question there. Nicola, we'd love to keep you on here all day if we could. We do have another show that just started. So that's going to be it for today. Um, I want to remind viewers again, DMY Technology. So we have Rush Street Interactive, ticker RSI, DMYD merging with Genius Sports, DMYI merging with IonQ, the company we heard so much about today. And then we have a fourth spec. DMYQ trading in units currently. So, Nicolo, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And we look forward to having you back on the show, you know, maybe when we get another deal announcement out there. If not sooner, my friends, there's a lot to talk about on each of these. So, thank you for the time. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy it. Perfect. Always. Thank you so thank much. You. All right, guys. So we got to wrap it up a little bit quickly here, but I'm sure that spent uh Chris and I would just stay on here and boot the power hour all day long just talking about SPACs because that's how we are, guys. We we love our SPACs and and we love getting this information to you guys. I don't think we we could have done a better job of really describing this company and getting in depth of not only of the potential of revenue, but also the usage. You guys saw me pull out the EV talk because in my eyes, I mean, by 2026, I expect a big EV market. So if this is going to help them and, and get that material synthesis to go up, then we need to focus on this because there's so much focus that the precious materials that we have right now probably aren't going to be enough. And so you need to, to focus on how we can better use those materials to get some better uh, processes here, whether that be uh, materials uh, for manufacturing processes, better batteries, or et cetera. So let's keep working and then let's keep uh, undiscovering these SPACs so that we can get you guys these information so you can be an informed trader out there. Chris, anything else you want to leave off with? No, I mean, we can hit this one again tomorrow, you know, EV, crypto, and you saw that slide where they just go, come off the page compared to their competitors. You know, big shout out to Niccolo joining us again, guys. This is why you want to stick with SPACs attack. This deal was announced yesterday and we got the CEO of the company bringing them public on the show the next day. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't on CNBC today. He was on SPACs attack. So shout out to Niccolo Damasi. Um, you know, and everyone stay tuned. Power Hour is already live right now. All right. I'm getting the shush from the from the man himself. So I'll get on out of here, guys. You like always, SPACs attack.